So you need a vision that's like, wow, I want to change the world. I want to do something that is far and beyond my current circumstances. All right, welcome to the Influence to Impact podcast itself. Today's leader is the Asia-Pacific digital influencer and is described as a unicorn because he's a jack of many trades, but a master of a ton of them as well. And he's one of the most respected copywriters and marketers in the world itself. In fact, most of the people around my circles and even my clients will always mention him when it comes to copywriting. I was like, oh man, who is this Kenneth guy? <laughs> I finally got you uh, on this show <laughs> itself. And he isn't just a marketer with like millions of dollars as results himself. Uh, he has won many awards from AdFest, London International, and tons of others. But what's so genius about this guest itself is that he's not a person that's just generated millions of dollars in one industry, but industries from personal development, all the way to finance, and all the way to startups in Silicon Valley itself. So introducing today's guest itself, Kenneth, you welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. Awesome. Okay, let's jump into the first question itself is what ignited your spark in really copywriting itself? Because you have been on this journey of copywriting for many, many uh, years or even decades itself. What, but what ignited your spark in going like, oh, I find joy in writing words and let me continue writing words itself. Yeah, I like money. <laughs> so that's, that's the first thing. Like, uh, I, have, I had a lot of artistic uh, inclinations growing up. So, so basically, even in my um, university, I was actually doing uh, film studies. So I actually studied film uh, for my degree. I actually studied Japanese anime. For, I actually did Japanese anime for my thesis. So I was very much inclined into you know, that part of the world. Uh, I was a musician and everything. But there was another part of me that was like capitalist in nature. So not only was I you know, an artistic person who wants to die for their art, I actually wanted to make a lot of money. And I realized that copywriting is a marriage of those two things. And I, I did a copywriting course in uni itself. I didn't find it all that great, but at least it gave me an introduction. It, it didn't serve me uh, at all once I actually entered uh, copywriting when I was in OQV, which is another story. But so I, I just wanted to earn some money that involves a little bit of my talents and my giftings, you know, don't go into, a, like, say, a bank or accounting or, you know, one of these things. And I didn't want to be a journalist either because journal, journalists are poor. <laughs> so, so that's when I actually entered Ogilvy. And when I actually entered Ogilvy, the interesting thing was I was paid double uh, for, from all my peers already. So even in my corporate journey, I've been getting double to triple what my peers have been making even in the corporate sector. Uh, and that was before I branched out my own uh, to do my own thing, yeah. That's very interesting that you're able to marry like your, you like what you say, your very creative, artistic side of you and then marry it together with words itself. Now, what would you say is like the reason behind why you thought of like marrying the whole creativity and like artistic side along with uh, words specifically itself? I think a lot of it is knowing it's possible. Because if, if I didn't take the copywriting course or I didn't actually enter Ogilvy and I didn't, or if I didn't actually enter Mind Valley with you know, direct response copywriting, because I didn't actually do direct response copywriting till later on. I did what we call Mad Men style, Medicine Avenue style. So you're doing the TV scripts, you're doing the billboards, the glamorous yep. uh, sort of things. But then when I was in advertising and this is above the line advertising in my Ogilvy days, I found that people, well, the creatives were very well paid. 
they were making, you know, five, six times what, when you win your awards, you make five, six times more than uh, what average people will make. So all these artistic people were actually making money. And so a lot of it lies in the exposure that it is uh, indeed possible. Would you say somewhere along the line, you kind of got very good at identifying and spotting out money's, money opportunities, opportunities where you're able to profit from? Because based on your ventures throughout, especially with your different industries, you're very good at spotting out uh, things you know that will blow up and things that you know will profit itself. And how, how did you like learn that skill? Is it learned or was it something that you know over the years you gained, you gained some insight from someone, you was inspired or how did it come about? Actually, yeah, it's very astute you observe that uh, because it's true. I know how to spot uh, opportunities. I know how to create products around those opportunities. I know how to sell those uh, opportunities. Uh, it's not just in copywriting. You know, we create businesses. Uh, copywriting is my foot in the door, uh, as it were. So, so what started out in uni was I was a trend spotter for a fashion magazine in Paris. And <laughs> so, and music critic as well. So I was music arts, like I was a critic wow. for a whole bunch of different magazines. So, and as a critic, as ever below the surface, what is underground and then, and then what will hopefully uh, explode. And so it started off as an interest because it's cool. I mean, you know, going to all these weird places. I mean, it fits my inclination. It's cool, it's different. Uh, and you actually make something from it. People pay you to actually do that, uh, believe it or not. Um, and I think I transferred that initial interest into you know a, a skill because everything is a skill. You you do it after a while, you, then you get a bit of mastery. And I transferred to the business world. And uh, the business world operates by by actually very similar rules. You just have to study, just as when I was doing the fashion type of thing, when I actually, you know, I knew my stuff. Like I had to go underground, I had to do my research. Uh, the same goes now. Now, now it's just finding good curators of research and just studying the heck out of the and so and you talk about the what's on the ground. Okay, and so you talk about you know studying the markets itself, uh, studying about what curators and creators are actually doing in the market itself. Now, let's say if you were to yeah. enter an industry that you don't know now, which uh, I think you know a lot of industries, but let's say you do enter in this industry that you're not too sure of. I mean, copywriting, she always say research is like the number one big thing. Right? But for you, uh, yeah. how do you actually identify that opportunity to go in? Because researching and creating copy itself is different from you know identifying what's the opportunity to nail down on and go in. I'm not talking about like unique mechanism and brief, but I'm talking about like identifying that big idea and that, uh, that opportunity to enter in the first place. Opportunities lie, again, in keeping your head on the ground, as it were, keeping your ears on the ground. And it's, because it's actually not very hard to determine what's the sentiment of the world today. Like, people are angry. Generally, people are angry. <laughs> like, 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 where are people happy, right? Like, basically, it's just that. <laughs> and then, the, the key thing is, uh, the question I always ask is, how do you give people what they want in a way they don't expect? So my, my frame of mind is basically, what people want has been the same for all across eternity, pretty much. Because people want to eat, they want to 
sleep, they, they, they want to, to make love, they want to be cloth, they, they want companionship, doesn't change. Uh, but what changes is the novelty of how these mechanisms are delivered. So, you know, you're not gonna wear caveman clothing, like it fulfills the need of the, the need to be cloth, but now, you know, you, you wear your latest Gucci or, or off-white or, or whatever, uh, it is, <laughs> yeah, Supreme. I have a whole bunch of uh, off whites and Supremes uh, just over there, actually. <laughs> so <laughs> I like I like the the streetwear uh, type of thing. <laughs> so, but that's the novelty. That is a delivery mechanism that's unexpected. And really, what for me, what I look out for is what is the unexpected mechanisms in all the different trends, in all the different industries, and actually say, okay, that's it fulfill the, the primal needs of the customer. But it's very interesting that time. you go down back to the very basics, right? We always talk about the needs of our clients and always being on the ground. I think the whole yeah. concept for me is being customer obsessed because once you place your clients first, then everything all comes in uh, and everything all patches pretty well itself. So let's go back yeah. down to that uh, line where you went to Ogilvy and then you also, after that, you went to join Mind Valley yourself as a chief of marketing. Right. What do you do on like a daily or weekly basis that got you to become so good at marketing and copywriting? Because once again, you had a background in terms of like arts, music. People might be thinking like, how in the world did this guy go for arts, music, from a copywriting course and then like all the way to becoming one of the most well-decorated uh, copywriters and marketers in the world? Um, I think a lot of it is also luck. So, so I, I think... It's a combination of luck, skills, and like ability. Uh, so I'll go into skills because that's the most straightforward. You practice every day, you become good at something. But there are a lot of people that are, you know, probably as good as me, I think. And then there's the function of being likable, meaning, meaning don't be an asshole in the office. Uh, even if you play politics, play properly. Lah. Don't, don't like, you know, don't backstab your way to the top. Uh, don't be a toxic uh, asshole. I think that's uh, the key. Because once you're not toxic, uh, people open doors for you. So, and and people open doors for you because hey, Kenneth, you have a good vibe. You you don't seem like you're going to backstab me. You don't seem like you're untrustworthy. Therefore, okay, I, I'll give you this opportunity. And when all these opportunities come, one or two will actually uh, hit a jackpot. And that's where luck uh, comes in. But luck is a function of the odds. So... And you only can play the odds if you play them. That means you, 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 you have enough tries. You know, maybe you have a ten percent odds and everything. You need still need that ten tries to get that one win, right? So, so I think that's uh, really how I play the game. I mean, mastery is just a function of practice. Nothing day in and day out. The reason I'm good, I'm good at what I do. I spent, you know, I'm turning forty this year, so it's fifteen years in the industry. Uh, so, and, you know, I, I focus in the right direction. That means I wasn't distracted. So you just focus. And then after a while, you, you transcend mechanics because you always start with mechanics first. And then uh, you go into almost like the, the instinctual side of it. Like instinct is something you, you pick up after you know mechanics. So in a sense, you need to know the rules of the game in order to know uh, how to break the rules of the game. So, so that is what I, yeah, that's... Uh, interesting that you talk about knowing the rules of the game and then breaking the rules of the game because I think most people would know the rules of the game and then try to you know bend 
through the rules of the game, but you talk about breaking through the rules uh, of the game. So like in terms of your whole, I'll say in terms of whole journey itself, it seems like you're breaking a ton of rules and a ton of things that people will say like, oh, you know what you should do is uh, focus on a niche and then just sell the heck out of the niche and become so good in the niche itself. And then what you decided to do was to go into different industries, gain all the different knowledges and start applying on different industries itself. Now, um, going back to that whole breaking the rule thing, right? And also talk about likability. Now, if you were to look at yourself in a third-party perspective, right, what would be the top three reasons why people would want to work with you? Would it be part of being likable? Would it be part of breaking the breaking the rules itself? What would it be? I think with three things. I think why is likability? You want to work with people you like. Very simple fundamental reason. Uh, second is professionalism. And what I mean by that is, if I say there's a deadline, I mean, sometimes I don't meet that deadline because sometimes, you know, of circumstances, sometimes you need an idea to come. I'll try to meet the deadline as close to the date as possible. And if I don't meet it, I will actually tell them. Uh, but generally, I meet my deadlines now, actually, because I give myself the time. So I don't promise a very tight deadline. I say, okay, this is the deadline. This is my deliverables. This is what I'm going to do. And this is how I add value uh, to you. And thirdly, it's obviously the skill level. So you need to have, you know, skill, credentials, track record, those are things that you don't, that are not shortcuts. And, and yeah, so when you have these three things, people uh, will work with you. Now, let's go back to that whole point of uh, breaking the rules, right? What questions do you, go, do, you, do you go through like in your mind, right? Whenever you talk about like, hey, let's, once we know what's the rules, we know what's like the background, like we know what's the context of this whole industry itself. What's the question that goes through your mind in terms of, okay, let's see if you can break the rules and do something that uh, the market uh, hasn't done? I mean, other than the question that you said just now, which I think is a very great question of asking yourself, like, what is something uh, that we can do that people don't expect itself? Now, what other questions do you ask yourself in order to break the rules, but still know that even when you break the rules, you still get the result? Because I think the fear that most people have, even I, what we have as well sometimes is, if I break the rule, uh, would I be rewarded for that? Would I get what I want out from it? I think only breaking the rules is actually not so much breaking the rules. It's transposing different rules from different industries into your industry and thus creating disruption. And, and what I mean by that is innovation is taking something that is from a different industry, different field, different niche, and transferring it to your industry. And obviously there will be tension and sometimes things break down, but uh, sometimes there is this uh, breakthrough uh, that actually happens. Like for instance, even in the area of direct response, it started off as like sales letters and then sales letters started not doing well. And what happened was people say, oh, let's, let's take something from another industry, which is still a little bit related, which was the uh, catalog uh, industry and the magazine industry, and let's repackage direct response as a megalog or as a, a, a book almost, a bookalog they call it. And so it's basically sales letters by written in book form or, or magazine form, and that suddenly your response rates went up you know, by, by a ton. It, it just went up like, like crazy. And then after that, when things started to start uh, slowing down again in the online space, suddenly you put a sales letter online and it started working, and then somebody started doing the video sales letters and suddenly you get results that you never got it before. Why? Because they took something from another industry, they transpose it to your current industry, and then something changes from that. 
And my approach is I am in a whole bunch of different industries at any given time. I actually don't study marketing. Uh, I don't see the point because what was surprising because I, you know, I've been one of the, the pioneers of sales funnels, like, you know, 13 years ago, we were one of the first few in Mind Valley to do it. And what was really shocking to me is how 13 years later, nothing has changed. <laughs> like the fundamentals have not changed. <laughs> yeah, right? Like you, you don't have, I mean, you, you have social media, all those things you don't have then. I mean, it wasn't Facebook then and, and uh, Facebook ads and all those things. But fundamentally, it's just building a list and sending offers to your list. Like it's, it's still the same. It's, the same. it's still the same game. <laughs> it's, it's still the same game. So for me, I mean, of course, I study you know, things like the tactical stuff because it's good to keep abreast. But generally, I just study everything else. I study you know, uh, geopolitics. I, I study finance. I study science. I, I study uh, even pop culture. Why is because then um, the subconscious neurological linking happens and then new ideas form. And the new ideas becomes my competitive advantage in the marketing. Yeah. That's very interesting. I think because a lot of people, I think probably one comparison or I'll say one person that you remind me of is also like Jay Abraham who has like gotten a ton of experience in different industries. And oh, then... thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> no, no, but you remind me of worthy, him. But yeah, you. <laughs> no, but you really remind me of him like because I've attended things from him as well. And then like the way that, uh, the way that you're saying it is very similar to uh, what he's saying about going and testing on different industries and understanding these different industries so that they're able to bring across these uh, relatable ideas and applicable ideas over to other industries itself. I think that's something that you've been reiterating again. And that's why you're always, in a way, all over the place, but we still thrive in while we are all over the place itself. And I think that's a, that's a huge skill that people will uh, want to have and need to have as well. So yeah. going on and thinking about you know, all these ideas that you're pulling off from different industries itself, that's probably the reason why you are able to create uh, creative ideas, things that able to transcend the industry and people be like, oh shit, new, something new itself, right? And you've been able to mastermind like a few movements itself, especially mind ready itself, right? Let's say we're about to start a movement from scratch, right? What are the key elements that are needed in order for one to even start that movement itself? I think when it comes to movements, um... I will go into know the most current one because WYODC, which is you know my your own movement. my movement. <laughs> so basically, yeah, of which probably a lot of your friends are part of it. So, so anyone who buys my products, invests in my products, ends up being part of WYODC, which says, "Or write your own damn check." <laughs> so don't depend on the government. Don't depend on outside circumstances. Write your own damn check. So that's what WYODC stands for. Um, and I started by accident, but if you reverse engineer what a movement needs, first a movement needs a, a vision that's far bigger than themselves. So it's a, it's a vision that's far bigger than the members, it's also a vision that's far bigger than the founder. So you need a vision that's like, wow, I want to change the world, I want to do something that is far and beyond my current circumstances. Um, and you need a figurehead as well. So you need someone who is like, almost like have some sort of level of charisma, I think. I have a level of charisma that people want to hear from me. And then you need, you need to set a culture as well. So basically, you can't let the people set a culture. I mean, you can, but people need to respond to the culture that you're setting. So what's interesting 
in, let's say the Holy Grail side of it, because I have a few products. So I have the Holy Grail students. What's really interesting about the students is because I've been so generous with the Holy Grail copywriting side, I actually give all my secrets. Uh, they started like crowd 